Pinterest Thrival Guide, where we cover all of the things that graduate school didn't teach you. My name is Miranda Barker. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I have been practicing as a therapist for a little over a year. I was in child protection before that, and I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Lucas Bellini, an LMFT that has been practicing for over 10 years. We are so excited to jump into this episode today. We are going to be talking about balancing professional relationships with your personal relationships and balancing that role as a therapist with the people that you love. So joining me today are two amazing guests. I have Heather and Gina, and I'll let them introduce themselves. Heather, do you want to go ahead? Sure. My name is Heather Reidinger. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist. I have been in the field for 15 plus years, almost 20. Wow. Um, I enjoy working with young adults, adolescents. I did a lot of work in crisis-based mental health and inpatient, um, and outpatient uh, working with adolescents and their families, doing a lot of complex family work. Really enjoy that. Um, and came to Ellie uh, 2020, February. Um, six weeks later, we eight weeks later, we shut down for the pandemic. So I've been here for about two and a half years. Um, have moved from clinician to um, to the clinical director um, more recently uh, here at Mendota. Awesome. I'm also a board approved marriage and family therapist. No nope, supervisor. There it is. <laughs> Perfect. I'm glad to have you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Gina. Um, hi, I'm Gina Young. Um, I've been working at Ellie for two and a half years, and I've been in the field for ten years. Um, my expertise is in working with kids and families. Um, and my background is in working with kids and families in crisis. Um, and I'm also certified in EMDR. Um, so I work with a lot of clients, um, with trauma as well. And, and at, at Ellie, I am a community-based services director. What is a community-based services director? Um, our community-based team provides in-home services um, to adults and children and families um, throughout the seven um, metro counties. In Minnesota? In Minnesota, yes. And I have a team of 11 of those providers that I supervise um, and then also carry a small caseload. Awesome. Thank you both for joining us. All right, today we are talking about balancing professional practice with your personal relationships. We're all therapists in the room. We have all been at a party or a family gathering where we're talking with someone, they find out that we're a therapist, and then they're like, can you analyze me? Or maybe they'll say, oh my goodness, tell me what diagnosis I would I would meet, or you know, like what diagnostic criteria I have, and blah, 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 blah. So we're talking about how to balance that. How to balance some of those personal relationships and not therapize everyone in our lives. But <laughs> I don't know. Take it away, Lucas. <laughs> it's hard to unlearn what you already know. That's what I think about when I when I first when you first asked me to do this. So it's like it's it's really difficult to explain to someone who isn't in the profession or, or has a better understanding of like how we integrate ourselves into our career. It's very um, difficult to explain to others who have, um, how do I want to say it? Like no kind of personal experience with that as well. Uh, so yeah, I think when they hear, oh, you're a therapist, 
not even like, are you analyzing me? But more so of like, there's a lot of different things. It could be, <clears throat> I don't know, help me with this. Or what do I need to do here? Or can I talk to you about my child? Or yeah, yeah. Know, those types of things. Um, and I think on some level, where there, it's a human aspect. Like we, as as healers, as as helpers, we want to listen. We want to be that for people. But we also have to understand where, there, where those boundaries are. And sometimes I think that's really difficult. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when I think about this topic, I think of the times when, um, you know, well, specifically, I think of this one time I was at a bar with some friends and this guy was talking to me, trying to hit on me. And he asks me what I do for work, and I say I'm a therapist. And then he proceeds to offer me money to do a diagnostic assessment on him and says, mm-hmm. tell, diagnose me, diagnose me. Like, tell me what, you know, what, what criteria I meet or whatever. And it was so uncomfortable. How much money was it? $250. Oh, you can do that. That's I didn't. Like, I, I would take that. I did not take that. I was like, absolutely not. Right. Um, and then Lucas and I laughed about it later because yeah. we were both like, what I just agreed happened? to do it. He wasn't interested. Yeah, it's true. Lucas did agree to do it, and the guy was not interested. No. Um, so I think about times like that where people just are, are silly or, you know, being ridiculous, but. So I think of times when people will ask me for advice, like within their marriage or with their kids, and then I I say, okay, let me put my therapy hat on or something. We talk about putting that therapist hat on or taking it off at the end of the day, but can you really take it off at the end of the day? I don't know. I also think about- We can't. We can't. I hate that metaphor, Uh, but that's not for today. (laughs) It could be. It could be. Why do you hate that metaphor? Because, I mean, it's, I don't think the nature of this work lends itself to something you turn on and off. Mm. You know, it, it requires too much of an integration of self with therapist to the point where when you kind of strive to approach the work in a manner where it's like, okay, now I'm clocking in, then I'm clocking out. It's like, I would say that's a bigger recipe for burnout than an antidote to it. Mm-hmm. Sure. I also think about times when Gina, you and I have had conversations about like being careful about the advice that you give to particularly like friends who have kids, you know, and I like you have shared all sorts of different examples of this. I don't. Would you mind going into that a little bit? I think that's the I don't that is by far the biggest struggle for me. Um, And I totally agree with Lucas who we are as therapists is sort of interwoven into who we are as people. And we work with people every day and that never stops and that never goes away. So I can't take my hat off because it's just who I, it's who I am. Um, but yes, I have so many friends with children um, and I love them dearly and I love their children and they'll feel really stuck about something or they'll have been thinking about it for a while and, oh, hey, can I run this by you? Please don't. because most of the time you don't want to hear what I have to say Mm -hmm. because in a clinical manner you're not seeing me as a therapist you're seeing me as your friend and most of the time I'm 
I've often just not had luck with that um, because they really want to hear that everything's okay and their kid is totally fine and what they're doing is totally fine. Everybody just wants to feel normal, right? And so I, I've had that issue with a friend who I'm actually seeing tonight, by the way. Um, and I gave feedback and it didn't go well. <laughs> so she didn't agree with it and mm -hmm. was not a fan of it. And then we had to repair and be like, okay, well, please don't ask me those things um, because I'm going to give you actual feedback, right? And it'd be the same. She's a food scientist. It'd be like if I tasted something she made and was like, that's trash, <laughs> you know, like it was very, it really put our relationship in, in a really difficult situation and we had to repair from it. And I love her kids. They are great. And she's an amazing mom. Um, and I think when they come to us, they are just looking to hear like, you're doing great. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's really what I'm going to say when most anybody comes to me and asks me for advice. So that's what, what I tell my friends too, is I can, I, I'm here to listen. Yes. I'm here to be open and honest and transparent with you if that's what you want. Or I'm here to tell you that you are like, you are need reassurance and you need validation. You need those things. Um, and that's definitely more of a friend vibe rather than it being like maybe a hat that you take on and off. You kind of like go into that wavelength a little bit differently. Um, and you learn how to do, I've learned how to do that is what I should say. I've learned how to, and is it done well? I don't know. I still have friends, I hope. <laughs> Yeah, no one, no one teaches us this. Right. You know, and right. part of the reason why we're talking about it today. Um, so, yeah, maybe by the end of this, we'll have some sense as to whether or not we do it well. You know, but it's, it's, I do think, yeah, I think one of the most dangerous things you can do is comment on somebody else's parenting. It's mm -hmm. different in a clinical setting. Like when they're your client, they're coming for that. You they're know. asking for that. Yeah, and they're open they're to it. They're seeking it, right? And they've already, they're invested. Yes, you know, totally. they, they've put themselves in that state of vulnerability. There's that power, you know, that, that proper power differential, you know, where they're deferring to your expertise. And that doesn't mean clients accept everything we say in those situations. Um, but yeah, in our personal lives, that can go real bad real quick. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think there's also the part where, like, I... I wouldn't tell someone in my office that's total BS. Maybe I would in, in certain things, right? Like, or you're that what you're saying makes no sense or whatever. I would say that differently to a friend. Mm -hmm. I would say that. I would be like, well, he sounds like an idiot, or you know, whatever your <laughs> friend is saying, or whatever your kids are doing. This is what's happening. Those types of things are more. You can be more real in that sense um, and use the language that a friendship would versus it being language that you would as a therapist. Yeah, we're just more disinhibited with people we're close to mm -hmm. in a personal setting. Mm -hmm. Like not everything needs to go through a clinical filter um, or be as intentional or crafted as it is in therapy, which I think is what, it's like we need that. We need to be able to just be a friend, you know, be a partner and engage in these conversations in ways that are just totally reflective of us without a filter um yeah but, but but again it's 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 complicated by the fact that they know that we have a knowledge base that they don't mm -hmm. um and so there's still it's like a very difficult to define like differential there i don't know if i'd say power differential but there's certainly a knowledge differential um but maybe you know before we forget about it too it's like don't assume that therapists make all the right choices with their kids <laughs> right right 
I mean, I, I, it's, it's so much easier to uh, help a client figure out something difficult with <laughs> their kiddo. But, you know, when my kiddos are struggling, I can feel just as helpless and impotent as anyone else. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I had, I full on like argued with my two-year-old for 30 yeah. minutes this morning over, no, you have to wear shoes today. You yeah. have to. Like, that's non-negotiable. Mm-hmm. I will not chase you around the house anymore. <laughs> and she's got so many great shoes. I know she does. Little <laughs> Nikes, right? Yeah. Um, okay, but what you were just saying, Lucas, you were saying we we don't have to have a buffer with our friends, but you're also saying we do have to have a buffer. You're saying we can... We can, you know, be candid with them. We can talk about these things. But you're also saying, but we're not giving them advice. And so you're... Or I'd say we are giving them advice, you know. Like, I think my experience of this is different kind of from the male perspective. Um, When I meet other men and they learn I'm a therapist, they generally stop talking to me (laughs) or leave. Ooh, say more. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's like, it's weird. You know, for well, one, it's weird to be a male therapist. Um, MFTs, I think it's like 86% uh, female. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, I think men are still figuring out how to be emotionally attuned and live in the world of emotionality. And so, even on the therapist end of it, like it was definitely a huge growth process for me and a challenge uh, to really figure out what it means to be emotionally attuned while you know, kind of sustaining an identity of uh, masculinity to some degree. And, you know, when you when I just meet men out there in the world, you know, mostly in like the business sector or things like that, uh, it's just so foreign. They don't know. There's no common language. They don't know what to ask me. They don't know how to be curious. And there's almost like a discomfort of um, the, like, they seem to wonder more about what I'm thinking or what's going on in my mind, you know, but they also don't really want to spend too much time wondering about that. So yeah, it's hard to make friends. Yeah. Well, I wonder too, if there's like that piece of judgment, I think there's a big piece that the stigma or however you want to put it, that there's, that we're judging others, that, that when we say what we do, when we share what we do, that we're then seen as Oh well, they're gonna judge me, so I'm not gonna say anything, or I'm I'm gonna hinder myself. Behave. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, and it's not only we're gonna judge you; we're diagnosing you. Right. That is always the snap judgment, and then even from like family members that I don't see on a regular basis, they'll ask, "Have you been diagnosing me this whole time?" Yes, but you don't want to know. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't an open conversation, right? <laughs> like, and so in my mind, I'm just looking, I'm listening and trying to be present. And I especially think it's really difficult with family members too. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Lucas, what you were talking about with children, when you have friends who are therapists with kids and you all hang out together, that's also really difficult, right? Like, they're like, is, you know, would you give me any feedback? No, you don't want my feedback. That's not a safe thing to say anyway. And we're not in your office. You know, like you don't really want clinical feedback from me. You just want me to tell you everything's okay. (laughs) Absolutely. Like that's 100% what they're looking for. And that is what I'm doing. It's just, you are so good at what you do. And it's so hard to have kids. Like it is so hard. Mm -hmm. The parent job is really hard. Yeah. I think stuff like that's super helpful, you know, normalize, validate. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, when people do try to solicit therapy from me, uh, it's, it's yeah, I generally just explain. It's like if you 
it's like the nature of what I do isn't just like giving people like feeble advice. Like I would need to know a whole lot about you and your history and your background. And it's like, you don't want me to know those things about you. I don't need to know those things about you, but I could give you some advice, you know, cause I think in therapy that's, you know, giving advice is something we have to hold back from, um, in a lot of ways, you know, to not, diminish people's autonomy you know to, to figure out how they can make their own choices of what's going to make the most sense for them but yeah in our personal lives i think that can be a time to uh to exercise some of the things we know and, and especially when it's things that are just normalizing and validating like one of my favorite things to tell people is kind of that finding an attachment research you know where i'll ask them okay so out of every 10 engagements with your kiddos how many of them need to be done well to keep your kiddo on track for a secure attachment. And they're always like eight, seven, 10. And I'm like three, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, as soon as they learn that, you know, there, there's a relief, mm-hmm. you know? And I say, don't, it's like strive for seven, you know, don't strive for 10, mm-hmm. you know, leave yourself some room for imperfection and don't strive for three. <laughs> you know, there, there's no margin of error there. Um, but it's like, yeah, parents get to be imperfect and it's like, we're like therapists are going to make bad choices when it comes to parenting or maybe not bad choices, but it's like, we're going to do things that our kids are okay with, you know? And so even when I was single day, yeah, like all the time. Um, and so one of the things I had to come to terms with was, you know, even after reading as many books as there were out there on human development, Uh, maybe in a foolish attempt at one point in my life to optimally raise my children, uh, I realized that that was foolish. That was impossible. It's like humans are just too unpredictable. And so instead of making the goal to like give your kiddos a perfect childhood, what I eventually settled on was create a relationship with my kids to the point where when I do do something that they don't like or, you know, messes them up or however people talk about it, that they'll tell me about it, that they'll talk to me about it, that they'll communicate, they'll give me an opportunity to take accountability, um, validate, you know, and, and improve. Mm-hmm. You know? And so that's something, you know, for, I would say for every parent to strive toward. That's mm-hmm. all within our reach if we're intentional about it. Mm-hmm. I like how you are kind of giving examples of things that you would say to friends that are parents while not explicitly giving them advice over, you know, like, oh, that interaction that you did was really crummy. You should not have done that. It's, it's, yeah, this... I would never do that. no, no, but, yeah. but I think that balance is really nice mm-hmm. where you were saying, here's what we know. This is what's important. And so you're, you're giving them kind of good information while kind of holding back the advice. Yeah. And I would say, like, re- relative to the topic of balancing our personal life with our professional life, I do, th- like, when, it's a very challenging, difficult situation to be in when you are out socializing and you're seeing people parent their children in a way that you know is causing mm-hmm. some degree of harm. That's a very difficult position to be in. So what do you do? I don't think I've ever done anything, but I don't feel good about that. Hmm. You know, like, I don't know if that's the, I don't know if that's a cop-out. I don't know if that's appropriate. You know, what I do know is, again, how dangerous it is. And, you know, I think a lot of the situations I'm thinking of, it was like acquaintance-based relationships. Like, 
out in the neighborhood. Not strangers. Yeah. But also yeah, not, not like best friends. Yeah, like I might be more inclined to, uh, you know, like every now and then it'll be strangers at a store. Like I'll try to make eye contact with the kiddo, you know, or like give them some sort of positive, you know, connection or, you know, kind of signal of, of support. Um, I would be more inclined to say something to a stranger than I would a neighbor. Oh, I disagree. Ah, maybe I don't disagree. I don't know. You've never lived in a suburban I have new never home lived development in, you're community. Right. I have never. It's brutal. Not yeah, where everyone there. knows each other. And everyone talks and about each other. And you go to barbecues. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, you all are nodding. Are you all suburban people? Uh, yeah, I am right now. Mm-hmm. We're in our 30s, Miranda. <laughs> I'm not yet. <laughs> you're going to move to the suburbs when you're in your 30s. <laughs> That's true. We'll you see. will. We'll see. You'll need more land <laughs> <laughs> and space. Yes. <laughs> I I don't I don't think that's gonna I, happen. I but know. We'll see. It won't for you probably. Yeah, I remember being cool. twenty eight. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Whole life ahead of you. <laughs> it's Miranda's birthday today. Happy birthday! Happy birthday. That's so Thank exciting. You. <laughs> oh man, I yeah I I can't think of us scenario where I would tell anybody anything if I like I when I used to be a child protection investigator I would see stuff all the time and on a like I was at a water park one time and this kid nearly drowned in front of me I pulled him out of the water and then couldn't find his parents like and they had left and gone to the restaurant bar I am not joking and so like in those different scenarios I mean it was a lot easier to know where the line was when I was a child protection investigator because it was like, okay, well, maybe, you know, I'll try to, you know, find their parents if it's really bad, which, I mean, there have been times where I've had to call child protection. Um, and, like, it, it, it's just clear cut. I knew what to do versus now that I'm a therapist, it is kind of this weird line of, like, I'm not going to give my friends advice. But let me tell you, my mom calls me all the time and she's like, this is going on in this family's house in this, you know, like blah, 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 blah. I don't know what advice to give them. And I'm just always like, I don't either. <laughs> I mean, but it's also like, a, I'm so glad that they're, that you're in their life to support them through this and like to be a listening ear mm-hmm. because that's really the best you can do in a lot of these different scenarios. Um, but yeah, I think that I haven't needed to, you know, like pull a friend aside and be like, hey, you should not be talking to your kid that way. Mm-hmm. Not that I would, but maybe I would. I don't know. Just love your kids. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, um, if there's one piece of advice to give people when they ask us as therapists, yeah, I'd say it's love your kids. Mm. Seven out of 10 times. All right, to switch gears a little bit, I do want us to kind of move away from the conversation of parenting and let's talk about relationships a little bit. Like we said in the intro, therapists actually have a higher divorce rate when compared to other professions. Why is that? Because we want to fix. Yeah. We want to fix. I think that's fascinating. I, I agree. When I came across that, like it immediately, like my intuitive response to it was it made sense but then I had to take a while to really figure out all the reasons why. Um, I think some of it is that I think, you know, people, I mean, ever since my whole childhood, I remember just being like, I would gravitate toward people who I perceived were like hurting or suffering. Yes. You know, like mm-hmm. I, I would, it, it was always just evident to me and I was curious about it. You well, know, like but... I wanted to 
understand why. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think a lot of times the partners that we're initially attracted to, you know, might be in a place where they're not totally great. Hmm. Um, they're struggling, they're challenging. They might reflect dynamics, you know, from our family of origin, you know, that are that are unresolved, you know. So I think in a lot of ways, Freud got that right. I think family therapists have elaborated upon that dynamic in a way that brings more validity to it. But I didn't really read all that until after I was already married. Uh, in my, um, I'm, I'm a statistic, you know, I'm getting uh, divorced. And so it's, you know, I, I definitely think that's an aspect to it. Um, and I don't know, maybe we just have a different orientation to what relationships can be and should be, you know, especially like over time for me, you know, I just sensed a bigger and bigger disparity between like the health of a relationship I understood theoretically and what I was experiencing, you know, and so it can be, it's, it's complicated. Um, and yeah. I would add to that, that the, your partner, uh, also there's a lot of expectations, unspoken expectations, um, similarly uh going through divorce and um my my ex would actually often say that i was a mind ninja um mind ninja a mind ninja cool we need a bumper sticker for that yeah right trademark right i that's amazing i'll make t-shirts i really liked it i love it but he used it as more of a negative right of like oh, you're trying to change me. You're trying to fix me. And I think, you know, initially, yeah, like we're talking about like years ago when when I was a different space in my life, uh, when I graduated from from grad school, I was like, heck yeah, I'm fixing everyone. I, I know all the things yeah. and I know what I'm going to do and it's going to be great. Um, and sure, like I think you can manifest those things and, and make that stuff happen and then look back at um, some of those choices and know that you're not going to fix anyone. I, I appreciate that that's, I, I can relate to that feeling of being a helper, being a healer and meeting people with curiosity. I'm very much, I, I wanna know your story. Yeah. Anyone I meet, I wanna know your story. And so that can come across as flirtatious, that can come across as you know, um, analytical, as judgmental. Romantic. Romantic. Um, and so I know I've had to be cognizant, more cognizant of that, um, because I don't wanna hurt someone else. I don't wanna, um, utilize or take advantage of the things that I know uh, in in those relationships yeah and it's all about your own shit stuff shit can I say shit you can say shit okay it's my own shit that you get a therapist for and figure out (laughs) well I think therapy is often about talking about things that people don't want to talk about and that has so much to do with relationships mm-hmm. and how we make each other feel, but we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not totally surprised by that statistic. I think part of our job is going, oh, wow, this has been going on a really long time, and I don't want to be a part of this anymore, mm-hmm. and bringing that to light. And so 
yeah, I thought when you sent that information, I thought, yes, that's so interesting. And I think there's more than one reason for why that's happening, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So I think, you know, the natural kind of development of this profession, and I'd say if, if you do it well and if you do it right, it's like who you were the day you showed up for your first semester in grad school compared to who you are, you know, the year after you're independently licensed. It's like you should be a, a pretty different person and not different as much as like you should be more growing like the amount of growth that you experience so rapidly in this phase of development because it is so much about figuring out who we are in this world as a means to better equip us to help other people figure out who they are in this world that our partners don't grow anywhere near the rate you know that that we can experience and so it, it can create a distance um and if that's an expectation, an internal expectation, and it's not vocalized, that can really be damaging. Yeah, we don't know how to vocalize it at first. It's not like we, you know, get into that at the get-go like this, and I'm, I'm enrolling in a graduate program. So five years from now, you might not recognize me. Right. I'm going to be different. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh-huh. I Are totally... you on board for that, too? And they're not, and what their experiences are going to be different than yours, too, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think I think you hit the nail on the head. I think... As a part of this profession, we're constantly growing. We're we're learning and and building relationships with our clients. And when you hear others' stories, and when you are in a profession like this, you have to grow. You continue. You're continually learning and growing as a human. And I think that I've been with my husband for almost ten years, and um, I don't. I do not even recognize myself when I think of. 18 year old Miranda I I don't like it and and we joke about it all the time because I met him before like at the the last semester of my high school year you know and my senior year and I so he saw me through college and he saw me through grad school and and I think that one one thing we would always joke about though was that you know people would give us crap for getting married so young and we would say oh we want to we want to grow up together and we want to grow old together and I think that we just kind of walked into it where it's like, we're going to grow so much and we're going to be completely different humans by the end of this. And like, it's, it's kind of going in with that idea too. And thinking about how like, we're going to grow and we're going to change and hopefully we grow and change together. And you champion each other. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. a big piece too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And not everybody wants to grow. True. You yeah. know, I, and that's something that, um, I've come to, I think in many, I've, I've found ways to appreciate the worldview where folks, you know, are, are happy and find the beauty and the things that are just right in front of them, you know, and I think people can create a beautiful life living that way. Um, but then it's, it's, it's just not compatible You're with somebody right. who, mm-hmm. who is always looking beyond, yep. you know, and looking at things that are larger and always pursuing new experiences. Um, and so it's not like one's bad and one's good. It's just that when you look at them and as a couple, um, yeah, it's like it, it's okay that those two things aren't compatible. Mm-mm. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yeah. Have you all ever been accused of therapizing like partners or people, like friends in your life? <laughs> yes, it happens all the time, mostly with family members and particularly with my parents hmm. um, and my brother. 
who I love very much, um, whenever we get into arguments and I, they call it my therapy voice and it's more just like the way I talk, um, in regular conversation, um, they really see it as if I'm talking down to them mm-hmm. or talking at them, condescending. Um, condescending, yep. Twisting their words, um, it can create a lot of discomfort for everyone and it puts me in this place where it feels like I'm not okay to be me Mm. and that's really difficult and something that I have to I'm still working on it like how to show up for my family and be me um, and also be a therapist that I am eight days you know like eight hours a day every day Um, and I'm working on it still and they as much as I love them are the people that are going to be really happy with what's in front of them. And I'm always like, I've got plans. You know, I want to learn more things and do new stuff. And I meet new people every single week and month that I'm doing this job and I'm learning new perspectives and I'm curious about things. Um, and not everybody has access to that. And so I love that about my job and it also puts me in a difficult situation with a lot of my family members and friends. How do you respond? To the therapizing thing? Yeah. Um, I say, I'm not trying to therapize you. I'm just trying to have a conversation with you. That's kind of my go-to. Ding, 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 ding. That's nice. <laughs> and if they can, and if they're stuck in that, we're moving on to something else. Because I can't, I can't convince them that I'm, you know, I'm not diagnosing them mm-hmm. or not doing what they think I'm doing. I'm really just trying to be present and be here for you. <laughs> And if we can't get through this, then let's move on to something else because I can't change their mind about it, you know, Mm -hmm. so. I was thinking more so around um, when your partner says those things to you um, and recognizing, having awareness around what the purpose is behind that. There's a lot of pressure in that kind of statement, in my opinion, um, of, oh, there's this expectation that your partner has of you fixing it or working through it or but then you're hit also with but don't therapize me like help fix this help fix us you should be able to fix this fix this because you're a therapist but don't be a therapist right Right. throughout the my divorce that was the the primary message or the pressure that I heard from my ex which which was you didn't try Hmm. you didn't do the things that you were supposed to do as a therapist, as a human being, like all of those things. And well, and then... also don't make it about me, right? It's right. another, the partner's <laughs> message is like, it's not me. Correct. It's got to be this and you, right? You got it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So to how to navigate that, um, <laughs> just don't take it, I think is the main thing is don't just be like, yeah, I guess I am. No, that's not what we're doing. We're trying to, we're, we're in a business of relationships. I don't even know if I like that, that term business, but we're in the field of relationships and we're not here to figure out your relationship. We want you to figure that out for yourself, how that fits for you. Um, we meet you with curiosity as a therapist in order to, to evoke maybe more conversation Um, And when it comes to personal relationships, that's what I'm all about. I want to get to know this person, but I also want them to get to know me as as, like who I am and my authentic self. And if you're going to put in that every single time, well, don't therapize me or don't don't say it that way. Well, I'm a philosopher. I'm a therapist. I'm a mom. I'm all of these things that if you're just going to categorize me, 
then that's the end of the conversation and then we don't get anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I can appreciate people's discomfort with it, you know, because it is so unfamiliar. I think it's something to just communicate about, especially if it comes up a lot in our family relationships, personal relationships. Um, you know, I mean, some of the things I've done is, you know, so like say the person is an accountant, you know, and they're like, you're therapizing me or yada, yada, yada. Um, to create a parallel of, you know, well, okay, if I was if I was sitting here right now and disclosing all the ways in which I've been screwing up my taxes, not writing off, you know, business expenses, I was like, would you would you really just stand by and say nothing, or would you be like, hey, mm-hmm. you're totally overpaying on your taxes? That's insane. I have this knowledge. Let me d- d- dispense it to you mm-hmm. so you can benefit from it. You know, I was like, I would. I would appreciate that oh i really like that idea like a dispensary of therapy yeah 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 you know it's like the things we know are helpful they can be helpful uh but they can also be threatening yeah and why why does ours come with a stigma Mm -hmm. of therapizing why can't it just be i'm sharing i'm sharing some knowledge Mm -hmm. you know in the same way that my dad taught me how to do an oil change and Mm -hmm. change a tire Mm -hmm. like i can tell you how to maybe open up to somebody a little bit if you're interested in doing that how to relate to someone exactly yeah Yeah. it's just an extension of the grander stigma of mental health that we're still dealing with as a society you know and we're making strides we're making progress you know and so maybe at some point this will be less lesser of an issue um, when people start to you know, when you say you're a therapist and people don't react all that much differently than, you know, any other profession. Um, yeah, and a lot of the misconceptions around therapy, I think they come out in these interactions. You know, it's like that whole thing of, like, are, are you diagnosing me? I've had plenty of people ask me that. And um, I ultimately started to respond with, you know, so, well, I'm a marriage and family therapist, and we don't really do the whole individual diagnosing thing. So, no, I'm not diagnosing you, but I do have a very good sense of the underlying rules that are governing this social system right now. <laughs> it's perfect. And I think that's worse. <laughs> no, that's great. I Lucas think that's has worse so than being friends. diagnosed. <laughs> yeah, I, so I don't. Um, <laughs> I either do that or I just chalk it up to the Oedipus complex. <laughs> What does that mean? That all your problems come down to the fact that you want to kill your dad so you can have sex with your mom. Oh, that's right. Yep. Yep. Right. There it is. That's a great way to end a conversation with someone. Yeah. Definitely. Build a relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so be aware of the context. <laughs> or just tell them you're a sex therapist and then see what happens. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I bet that'll shut down a room, won't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or really open it I up. Really <laughs> open it. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> you may have a, a crowd. I do think getting back to thinking about people just coming out of getting their license or getting done with grad school I wish that this one that we had a personal growth class in grad school Mm -hmm. that you could take alongside of all the learning that you're doing so that you can talk to other people who are going through the same thing Um, that one and two I wish this was a, a larger component of our clinical supervision not dipping into therapy but dipping into How's your life and your relationships? Because they're important to what you bring to the table with your clients. Um, And that's just so important to the work that we do. And we don't make enough space for it. Mm -hmm. What would you include in your human growth class? 
Oh, I think it would be very developmental, depending on where you are in your grad program. And it's how have you been, what have you been learning that's brand new to you? And how has that changed some of your relationships? Mm. And like how you see yourself. Could have used that. Mm. Really could have used that. I love that. (laughs) I I so wish that we had a component like that. Um, Because people come out so dazed when they like learn all these new things and a lot of people are like oh my god my childhood you know like really oh my mom or oh my dad or this person you know like oh my spouse (laughs) 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 who have i been dating and why yes there's just so many illuminating moments that we don't get to reflect on yeah and then we don't really get to grow from them and instead we just keep shuffling along to the next thing that we do and the next class Mm -hmm. and so i think it would be nice to collaboratively collaboratively connect with your peers um, and talk about what have you learned and how did you apply it this week or what have you noticed about your life with that information i really appreciate in grad school we had a you know it was like a counseling 101 and we were able to do we did actual therapy with one another uh role playing and and doing that and that i felt was really helpful in being able to just be open and vulnerable with one another i mean yeah there's a level of of where you limit that but it was an opportunity for us to open up about the things that were going on and see how the rest of us would do therapy around that or, or meet that. I'm a, I'd be a proponent of more graduate programs also hosting events where they bring in people's partners. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of give them a prep of mm-hmm. what they can expect, what they can anticipate, even do like workshops on like how, because it's, it's a relational dynamic, that whole concept of like, are you therapizing me? Mm-hmm. Like in the personal relationship uh, it's like both people should be a part of making sense of that, not just the therapist that's just putting more weight on on their shoulders. Um, one of the ways that I kind of hold myself accountable to not therapizing people that I'm in a relationship with is to kind of, so like even if like Gina and Heather, if you were a couple I was working with right now and Gina, you're having an issue that you need to express about the relationship It's like I see those three seats in my mind, but instead of seeing myself as the person in the therapist chair, I see myself as Heather. And I think, like, what what does this person need from Heather right now, not what do they need from me as the therapist right now? Mm -hmm. You know, so to just really make sure you're you're seeing yourself as a partner. Um, And I think if you go about doing that well, you know, therapists could be great partners. We I should agree. be, right? Yeah. We'd be great together, Heather. Totally. As partners. I like that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And if and if the two of you run into any issues, You're we'll there. talk it out. Yeah. Great. We will absolutely make room for that. Yeah. On this couch. <laughs> on camera. <laughs> on camera. <laughs> Couples counseling. Never on miss an opportunity yeah. for content. <laughs> this could be a good role play. There you go. Yes. Yeah. Always making content. Mm-hmm. I think that one of when I think of therapizing, I can't help but think therapizing a partner. I can't help but think of all the times like my husband helped me helped me, um, you know, study for different licensing exams. And so now he knows just enough to be dangerous Mm. where he can like we'll be in an argument and he'll be like, you're not allowed to say never. You're not allowed to say always, (laughs) you know, and I'll be like, damn it. 
That's generalizing. Oh, yeah. I mean, he calls me out on these cognitive distortions now, which is You've real fun. You've given him way too much. Wow. Way too much. Way much. You let him read the way CBT too. Holy bucket. It's like you gave him a guide, a manual. <laughs> I mean, so that's a whole nother layer of arguments with Miranda and Colin. <laughs> Just two that's, people. That's, that's a whole nother podcast. That's like this pseudo, da- he's a pseudotherapist a now. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Great. Similarly, when we go to Yellowstone, I say, what kind of rock is that? And he goes, oh, I'm not sure. And I'm like, it's sandstone. Nice. Oh, yeah, my hus- he's a my husband is a geologist. Geolog- so. <laughs> I'm still wondering what a food scientist is. Yes. What? What's a food scientist? What do you? They make things. That's what I mean, a chef? <laughs> it is not a chef. They, um, this person works for a really big company here in um, Minnesota. I can guess which one it is. <laughs> Hormel. General Mills. Hormel is Austin, Minnesota. <laughs> Neither of those. Um, and they put together different products for the company, like Market, like our Archer Farms or Market Pantry. And they oh. contact. <laughs> which company? Which company? They, um, they contact the people who make those foods and then they put them together to make a product. And she puts the directions on the back of the box that mm. makes it work the best. Mm. Yeah. So she'll cook a ham at different degrees mm. and in different types of ovens like 80 times until they at figure out. At different elevations? Oh, yes. yeah, that's science. Yes. That is science. That is science. Mm. That's, like that's what food science is. That makes yep. sense. Okay. Absolutely. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. So feel free to cut out the food scientist part, but oh, no, it's, it's captivating to me. Yeah. Well, I'd be really interested to hear all of the therapist partners' jobs. Agreed. That oh, would be yeah. super interesting. Because I, yeah. I don't, I don't know if I know any therapists that are married to therapists. I do. I, you do? I know quite a few therapists. How does that work? And all of them are, at least one of them, it's their second marriage. Mm-hmm. So they've perfected it. You've said something about a second marriage before as well. I think it's oh, more. Yeah, yeah MFTs can have uh, disproportionately l- lower divorce rates on second marriages. So, in general, people have a higher divorce rate in their second. So, if you get divorced and you get remarried, you're more likely to get divorced in that second marriage than you even were in that first marriage. General public. General public. Uh, when you control for uh, profession and industry, uh, there's. Uh, lower uh, divorce rate and second marriages for therapists. Oh, that's so interesting. It makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah. Because you're learning and you're, yeah. try- you're doing things and intentionally growing. different. Well, yeah. and ideally, yeah, and like you're just way more intentional and knowledgeable about who you partner with. Mm. You have a much better sense of what you're wanting, what you're looking for. You know, so even in that one example I gave earlier, it's like if you are someone who's really open to experience and you seek that and you want to grow and you want to explore – it's like you're probably not going to start dating somebody that is just as disinterested in those things as your last partner was. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That um, makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're going to seek out something different. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. And something that looks like what you know it is that you want. Yeah. Because yes. you probably have a much better sense of what it is that you want. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so interesting. Mm-hmm. So final doses of wisdom. Yeah. How do we want to wrap this up? What do you guys... I would love, as we're wrapping this up, to hear from Heather and Gina, kind of what are some key takeaways or what are some like little doses of wisdom you'd like to impart on the people listening? You want me to go first again? Yeah. Okay. Um, 
my biggest one, especially thinking about our audience, is that focusing on being present in the moment and in the relationship or whoever you're with is the by far the most important thing um to be most authentically yourself is to try to be as present as possible um and I think that's something I continue to work on and I continue to refine as well and that's something I wish I knew more about when I got licensed are you talking about in the therapy room or no in my real life like in all my circles of families and friends and all of that to make sure that I'm not wearing that therapy hat. Like it's just a part of who I am. Um, I think being mindful and being present helps me be more available to those people in authentic ways. Um, and hopefully I think discussions like this really help. Like Lucas was talking about that destigmatizing of mental health. I can't wait until I'm sitting on a plane and someone asks me what I do and I say therapist and they don't immediately start asking me 50 questions and can just go back to what they were doing. Like that's really a hope like that I have. Um, and I think conversations like this are really part of that process. So yeah. yeah. Or to even have a conversation of like, I'm a therapist and someone says, cool, tell me more. Yes. yes. Like, yeah. Tell that, me about your profession. Yeah. Like those are, I want to talk about that. I don't want to, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not therapizing you. I want to no more. I'm sorry you talk to people on planes. I'm just <laughs> willingly. <laughs> I give the signals I don't with the eye patch and the headphones, but people still talk. <laughs> All right, Heather, maybe it's the up. shirt that says "My Ninja" on it. Yes, or Ellie Mental Health. Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, ah. Uh. It draws them in. Mm-hmm. I would say ditto, um, and. I would add that there's been the amount of self-reflection that I personally have done over just starting uh, in grad school, starting in this profession. Um, you know, starting out, I think we there is so much, we do have so much knowledge, and we are a bit dazed, and we come into the space of, with imposter syndrome, and we're doing the best we can, and so that's what I would encourage younger baby therapist too is to remember that you're doing the best you can and that there's time to reflect there's time to it's important to take that time I also utilize that in supervision as well I want to I want you to tell me how you're doing I want to know what's going on you don't have to verbal vomit but I do need to know so that we can talk through or process through what that means for you as a therapist you doing your work but also what it means for you as a human being because this work is difficult. It is, it's learning how to not hold on to all of those things. It's learning how to process through with, with someone who's in your space and, and, you, and holding space for that person. Um, and then finding ways to figure out what that means for you too and how it um, can impact your own relationships. Ah, such good words of advice. Thank you both so much for joining. I don't know, Lucas, do you have any other last thoughts that you want to share? So if you're worried about telling a group of people you're just meeting that you're a therapist, um, just tell them something else. Yeah. You know, it's like I, for the last, I had to think about, you know, instances where this has come up because it hasn't come up in a while because for like the last two years, I just tell people I'm a professional recreational golfer. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they just look at sense. you like, what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. But then they're like, 
Yeah. Okay, on to the next. So like, if you ever need advice on how to get people to stop talking to you. I would say I go with golfer. I got it all. <laughs> I, I would never say that because then they might ask me a question about golf. I know. And that would and be I'm a nightmare. Well, yeah, but I mean, I just play recreationally, so <laughs> yeah. they wouldn't expect me to there know that. Go. One word of advice. I feel like, Gina, you told me this a long time ago, was if you're, if you're like not wanting to open that can of worms and say that you're a therapist or like you're afraid about other adults asking you a bunch of questions or being like, are you diagnosing me? than saying that you're a children's therapist is actually really mm-hmm. helpful because then they're just like, oh, that's cool. And they don't immediately think that you are psychoanalyzing them. Yeah. And actually, so that's what I say because that's exactly what you're has been 100% helpful. right. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because then pe- it's almost like there's less pressure. People don't. Yeah. And they're always like, thank you so much for the work you do. <laughs> that's also what happens. Ooh, that's good. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. I'm so glad I said that to you. Yeah. It's helpful. Yeah. (laughs) so smart. No, it's great. That's what got you on the show. (laughs) Gina, just dropping wisdom all the time. So I'm like, you have to be on my show. I love it. So good. We decided we'd monetize it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, I feel like I could keep talking to you guys forever. Me too. But... We're out of time. (laughs) Thank you both so much for joining and sharing your wisdom with us. And I can't wait for both of you to join for future episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And um, thank you so much for listening. And if you're watching this, thank you for watching. And stay tuned for our next episode with The Thrival Guide.